So uh, the verses that we want to have a look at this morning is up on the screen here, and I'm just going to read them. There's just a few verses that you will know very well if you've been around church for a while. Um, it says, so from Matthew 28, uh, 16 to 19, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's always a little phrase in there that I just bring before us. Did you get that phrase, three words, and some still doubted? So I always say to people that when we're dealing with doubt in church, we're in good company, because the 12 apostles, as they're seeing Jesus, they've seen him raised from the dead, and some still doubted. Doubt is the seedbed of faith. <laughs> it turns us to, uh, where else do we turn? So um, I always, uh, doubt is not a, a sign that we're, uh, we're away from God. Uh, it's a sign that we're actually wrestling with who God is and who we are. So um, this year we want to, today is a bit of a, um, a sort of a theme launch. We want to um, launch a little bit uh, where we want to focus as a, as a, as, uh, a church this year and what's sort of going to colour uh, what we do uh, as a church this year. Uh, I don't know if it's your situation, but it's certainly been in ours as we've headed into uh, 2016 um, that life has kicked in, <laughs> that um, routine is back, school, work, sport, music, and trying to make all that fit uh, into our lives has begun in earnest um, over the last couple of weeks. And I suppose it's not just in uh, life, but it's here in church as well. Over the last uh, few weeks, uh, for me personally, and uh, in the office and around here, getting ministries up and running, uh, seeing youth and children's getting fired up, uh, life groups, uh, and all the stuff that goes with that. Um, I've been coming home at the end of my days with just a bit of a buzz in my head and just a bit of a blah, because trying to get leadership up and running, uh, dealing with new staff in the office, uh, sorting out life groups, grow groups, uh, Cavell Kitchen starting up, uh, staff meetings, thinking about themes and all of that. And it's just like, whew! Now, why am I doing this all again? What's this all about? <laughs> and as I've spoken to people as they've kicked in ministries and have been doing ministries here for 20 plus years, sort of, have you felt that, <sighs> I don't know if I've got the energy to do it again this year. <laughs> it's tough work, it's hard, it's busy, I don't know where it all is going to fit in my life. Why are we doing all this? What's the purpose of all this again? And so last year was a bit of an interesting journey for us uh, as church council as uh, we wrestled through the year and it was a tough year and we'd been reading this book called Simple Church. And in this book, um, these guys had uh, done a lot of studies of churches uh, around and they came up with this observation that churches that had been in existence for probably 20 plus years 
Uh, often uh, when they went into those churches and, and, and spent time in those churches, they found that these churches were full of activity. There was lots of ministry going on. All the people, lots of people were involved in doing lots of different things. Uh, there was even sort of a sense that things were so happening so much that people were sort of feeling a bit burnt out and uh, um, en- less energised and that. And then... The question that they had is in these churches, they would ask people, are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you actually achieving what you're supposed to be doing as a church? And often people wouldn't know how to answer that question. And they'd say, we're doing lots of stuff. And then when they ask the question, well, what's the purpose? What's the, the point of all of this? And it was interesting that they observed that in those churches there were few people actually coming to Christ. There were few people actually becoming Christians. And many of the people who had been Christians in those churches uh, actually said that they were not growing and they were not becoming uh, more like Christ. And as uh, we, as a church council, looked at that and we were wrestling uh, as a church council with our roles and what are they and uh, a church council was dealing with a pastor that was sort of displaying signs of burnout and uh, not knowing his place in this. We pressed into God and we said to God, help us with this. What are we doing? Where, where are we at as a church? And over a process of a number of months, we firmly believed that God spoke to us and that he laid uh, this vision on uh, our hearts for his church here at One Hope. And that was this sense of, I want you to focus, I think more than that, the purpose of this church is to see people moving in following Christ. And really, if you were to sum up that statement, it's pretty well, I want to see disciples. I want to see what I, I told my church from the beginning of time, that verses that we read, I want to see people following me, loving me, intimate with me, and I want to see them sharing that with others and helping others become like me, teaching them to obey. What does teaching them to obey mean? It means doing what Jesus did, being like Jesus. And we firmly believe that um, this was from God, and as we spoke to people around the church, this seemed to be echoed as well. And so as we've been... Um, wrestling with uh, this year and beginning this year and looking at our church, we were saying that um, we want to be a church that does this. We want to be a church that's into disciple-making, to seeing new people become followers of Christ, to see those who are followers of Christ to become more like Jesus. We spent a bit of time uh, in the office, actually. We, We went... Joel and I just happened to be in the office one day and we are just talking a bit this, about this and we said, are the people in our church growing? Are the people in our church growing? And we actually just spent some time uh, just going through the book and, and we did this thing of um, red light, green light, oh, sorry, red light, orange light, green light as to you know, whether people in our church are growing. And don't be too fast. We're not sort of keeping record of, you know. But it was just an interesting observation. Could we measure that? And we actually went through and said, yeah, these people are involved in that and that people are involved in that and they regularly attend that and they're involved in that. 
we sort of found ourselves with lots of sort of green and, uh, and um, orange lights, a few sort of red ones and, uh, along the way. But overall, we thought, actually, that's pretty good. Then we asked ourselves a different question. We asked ourselves the quest this question. How many people in our church are making disciples? Let's go through now and do that. And so when we went through and started to uh, analyse other... We started to ask the question, how do we actually measure that? What does that look like? How do I... And we actually sort of went through... Uh, and we, we started to get a different phase about, or, or different um, results when we went through the book. And when we as a church council asked ourselves these questions, we were quite confronted. We're doing all this stuff, we're trying to work out all this stuff and trying to work out all this structure and make this church place happen and... But who are we actually discipling? And who's discipling us? How are we becoming more like Jesus? How am I becoming more like a, a follower of Jesus? How am I doing what Jesus wants me to do? Who are the people that I am helping to become like Jesus? And we said, we want, let's be specific. Let's write names. Write names and tell us how we're doing it. And so if you've been in this church, I'm just going to ask you to do that now. I say, who are the people that are following you because you're following Christ? Who are the people that you're discipling to see them become all that Jesus wanted them to be? Teaching them to obey. And that's just not being involved in lots of stuff. Because all of us were doing that and we... As I say, we're preaching it to myself as well and for us as leadership. And I think sometimes, uh, as we were sort of wrestling with this and, and thinking about this, we dismiss this verse a bit as just the missions verse. Oh, this is just for the missions people. Whereas this verse is given to the church. <laughs> and all that the church does is about this. is about going and making disciples, following Jesus and have... Others follow him as well. To have everyone uh, become more like Jesus, that we are being sent to each other and sent to this world to help us live more like Jesus. To make disciples, to baptise them, to help them uh, come to a faith in God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. To teach them how Jesus lived, to show them how Jesus lived, to help them live like Jesus lived. And so as you're thinking about who am I discipling and how are, they coming, how are they becoming more like Jesus, and as you're thinking about who's discipling me, who's holding me accountable, who's challenging me to become more like Jesus. And that might happen in our homes as parents and children. It might happen in our ministries. It might happen in our small groups or our... But who are those people? Who are the specific people that God has laid in his heart? I heard a statistic this week, some of the Bible scholars have said that Jesus spent 80% of his time with 12 people and he invested in them and he grew them to the point where he knew that they would multiply themselves out into the world. This was Jesus' strategy uh, for his church to reach the ends of the world. I heard a, uh, another stat this week um, and the, the power of multiplication um, that if in our lifetime we discipled three people, we discipled them to faith and helped them to become disciple makers, if each of us did that three 
three people in our lifetime. And if you had a group of 40 people that were doing that, uh, over the period of um, 25 repetitions of that, um, the whole world would be disciples of Jesus. Did you hear that? Three people in our lifetime that we taught how to disciple others so that they would disciple others. And sometimes I think, and I hold my hand, that I'm so busy doing stuff that I'm not actually discipling people who disciple Jesus. Because that's the power of Jesus' idea of making disciples. So what does that look like for you? What does it look like for One Hope as a church? How are we going to be doing that this year? Well, we hope this year that we're going to engage together as we look at what we're doing, look like how we're living, and and work this out together uh, this year uh, to see if we're doing that. Um, We're going to have a watch of a clip now that uh, has resonated with a few of us at church council and stuff like that, that that helps us think about this at church. And then uh, Andrew's going to get up and say a few words as well. So uh, let's go to this clip. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. All right, most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it Simon Says is... Uh, You know, you just, Simon says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, It's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. (laughs) You you, you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense, a lot of the things we do. When he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? About it? it's, just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. It, um, you kind of don't have to say much after something like that, do you? Sort of um, reminds me of the um, the story that I've, I've or the, that I've set up here a few times before. That my tennis career, you might remember my tennis career. You know, the Australian Open's just been on. How many of you have been watching the Australian Open? I watched a whole lot of games. I know the lingo. I know her baseline curve. I know all the right words. I know everything. My tennis hasn't improved. The only way I'm going to improve it is by doing it. I haven't got out and done it yet. You know, I can't, I can say I'm a carpenter, but if I never actually get two bits of wood and and put them together or build something, then I'm I'm not really a carpenter. I can say I'm an accountant, but um, 
if I never get my calculator out and, and play with figures, and that's, I'd be a terrible accountant, by the way, but I'm, I'm not really an accountant. You know, if I say I'm a disciple or a discipler, but I'm never really doing it, then I'm, I'm not really a disciple by definition, and, and that's what Francis is telling us. You actually have to do it. You, you have to do what Jesus said, and, and that's what he's saying there. I can't say I'm a disciple or a discipler if it isn't visible. And, um, and it's interesting listening to Glenn when him and Joel did the, um, the, the thing with the church book. And, you know, I was wondering to myself if, if, if someone followed our church and YouTubed our church for a whole year, you know, maybe not everything you did at home, but YouTubed our church, but there was no sound, what would their evaluation be? Would their evaluation be, boy, that church does a lot of stuff? Or would they say, wow, they are discipling people. They're really bringing people to Christ. And James said that in, in, um, <clears throat> in, in James, didn't he? When you read James, he said, you know, I, I can tell you have faith because I can see it. You know, I don't, you, you haven't just told me that. I, I can see it. And in the text that, uh, that Glenn shared with us, it's, there's two, two doing words in there that I think are really important. And, and they are go and it's observe in the text, but observe to observe a law is to obey a law. So go and obey. In NIV it says to obey all that I'm teaching you. And this is discipleship. When we think of discipleship, of being disciples and then following the command to, to make disciples, it's not just to be, that's important, it's to teach others to obey. It's that multiplication, isn't it? It's not just for us to, to be like Jesus, uh, to take on his focus and, and his values and, and the way that Jesus would, would approach people in relationships and that sort of stuff. But it's to pass them on to others. It's to train others to be obedient to his word, to train others that those values are intrinsic to life. So we want to explore this year, like Glenn says, together what that looks like. We want to build our preaching and our teaching and our, and our life group material around that. Around not being busy doing stuff. And, and guys, you're not hearing Glenn or me say that the stuff we're doing is not worth it. Now, please don't think that. But it's not worth trading in for, a trading discipleship in for. And we want to preach and, and teach and, and have material in our life groups that helps us to look at what that looks like, to explore that. What, what would it really look like in our lives? What would it look like in our church life if, if we were multiplying, if we were becoming disciplers, if we were taking one person, you know, if you had three in your lifetime, but if you take one for a year or a couple of years, how do we do it? How can we learn to do it better? I need training in that. You need training in that. We need to train each other in that and to encourage each other in that as well. You know, and it's, it's not all new. Um, this scripture isn't new to us. It's rebuilding. It's improving. It's, it's aligning what, who we are as a church and what we do with what Jesus says. It's kind of like, you know, any... Any organisation, any business, any church, after 20 years you think about, okay, you know, are we still going, and businesses do it probably much more often, are we still going where we said we were going? You know, and if we look in our history of our church, and I think when Glenn and I shared at the, at the end of last year, I said this as well, we've always said reach, care, grow. And, and these are more than words on our letterhead for the last however many years. They're words that God gave us. They're words we've, we've talked about a lot and words we've, we've acted on. 
So we want to rebuild by building on the past as well. We want to grow disciples. You know, Jesus commanded us to go and do that first and foremost. We want to grow disciples. We want to care for people. Jesus told us to care for each other and those around us in the community, uh, caring and creating unity amongst us as a body, serving the community, but serving each other as well. And we want to reach the world. Jesus told us to go where discipling in so many ways is needed near and far. We want to be obedient in this. We want to see what it would look like for One Hope to be more obedient in that, to, to live out that. And this is what the action of discipleship looks like. You know, Jesus' dream for the church and, and for our church is the lost being saved and the lost being cared for, for disciples growing and disciples discipling others. For a community to grow, a community of faith to grow, a community of family and a love, like a real love. You know, we were watching another um, um, clip or, or, or little teaching of Francis Chan and, and he was talking a little bit about this from a leader's perspective and he said, you know, Jesus' dream is for, for that genuine love to be in the church community. And he said, I know that you all love me. He said, but imagine if every, like, you, you know how much you, you, I would do anything for my kids. I love my kids so much, I would do anything for them. Now imagine if everybody in this church loved you like that. That's the dream. Imagine that. Imagine that everyone in this church loved me like I was one of their kids and you would do anything for me. Or, or anyone, can you imagine that? That's the dream. That's the church. And out of that comes the power to disciple because that is attractive. You know, that draws. Imagine that. You see, because you can't do this by yourself. By definition, it involves others. You, can, you can't disciple by yourself. You need to involve others. You need to love. You need to be a disciple and a disciple maker. And we have the power and authority to do it. You know, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And I'm passing it on. We have the authority that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. You can disciple someone else. You know, Jesus didn't say you have to take them all the way to heaven. Just disciple them with how he's grown you. Grow them the next level. Grow them. Commit to them. Jesus gave that to us in the Great Commission. And it's not the great suggestion. It is a commission. And this is exciting for our church as we head into this year because this is what we were made for. When you look at Scripture, when you look at the Word, this is what I was made for and this is what you were made for. Not in the first instance to run church. And as leaders, that's been our struggle. You know, What are we supposed to do as leaders? Not in the first instance to run a church, but to be and make disciples. And you know what? The most important thing, and, and Johann's worship set was so fantastic for that because it pointed us to one thing. It's for the glory of God. I've said that a few times lately when I've, when I've been speaking. I live, you live for the glory of God. And when I disciple someone, I'm bringing glory to God. And that's what we exist for. So I'm going to hand over back to Glenn now and, and take us home.
So as we head into uh, 2016, uh, we strongly feel and believe that God wants us um, to get back in this place of discipleship and moving people in following Christ, making followers of Christ, for us to begin to pray that God would bring new people to salvation, that he would use us to do it, that God would use us as part of his plan to see other people flourish uh, in Christ. Here's the thing that confronted me this week. You might be looking at that picture thinking, what is that? <laughs> I don't make any sense of that. <laughs> We've been trying to uh, put a bit of a, a, a picture, a graphic to what we're talking about here. And so one of our staff meetings, we came up with this idea of um, concentric circles of uh, growing disciples and caring for people and reaching the world and that as we're growing disciples, we're teaching people to care for people, but as we're teaching people to care for people, we're growing disciples, but as we're growing disciples, we're teaching them to reach the world. As we're reaching the world, we're teaching... So all these things three, you know, uh, revolve together. And then it was a little bit around what, you know, what's in the centre there. Um, and I had in the centre there moving people in following Christ. Joel, you're getting a bit of a mention this sermon. This sermon. didn't intend that, but... Joel argued a little bit, he said, no, it shouldn't be that, it should be Jesus in the centre of the church. And I dismissed him with my pastor hand and said, no, <laughs> it's moving people. And this week I've just been so convicted that that's the root of our problem. That what we do is we make all our processes and structures at the centre of our church rather than Jesus in a relationship with him. And I was doing it again. <laughs> and, and, and I was convicted uh, by this, that Jesus needs to be the centre of his church. And then we help move people around him. But he is the centre of the church. He is the one that's building this church. And as Andrew alluded to, me, leadership, any of you, we can't do this. We can't do this. If anything, it's just driven me back to an utter dependence on God, a crying out to him to work in and through us, to pour his spirit upon us, to gift us, uh, to empower us, uh, to have his fruit shine through us. I had this uh, word of God, I suppose, that came to me. Um, it was actually last week. And it said, I want... It was." Um, so the, the phrase that I wrote down, it said, love me, not your church. And it was from God. <laughs> I thought, yep, that's what I do. I end up loving this church. I love my role in the past. I love what I see around me. And actually, I begin to love ministry more than I love Jesus. And we as a leadership, we've been confessing that. And unfortunately, we've led this church and led others and led ourselves on this path, this, down this path of... And I stand here as your, your pastor and I confess my pride, my boastfulness, my self-righteousness about the way I've spoken about this church and about what we've done and how much we do and the impact that we have. It's got nothing to do with me or us. It's got all to do with Jesus. And so hopefully this year as we go through this, this working out who we are as a church, that we keep him front and centre, that we depend on him, that we are driven by him, 
that we grow deeper with him. That we can't do anything but knowing this deep love of Jesus. Because remember the warning. This is the warning that came across my desk this week on my computer. And it confronted me like I've never heard it before. It's the, the story of the sheep and the goats. You know that one where Jesus, at the end of the time, Jesus gets the sheep and the goats. And at the end of that, um, people come to Jesus and they say, we've been driving out demons, we've been preaching in your name, we've been doing all this ministry in your name. And Jesus say, go away, I never knew you. Because they loved their ministry more than they loved Jesus. They loved their small group or their church or what they did or their mission more than they loved Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to love me. Love me deeply. Get to know me more. And the, out of the overflow of my love for you, <laughs> you will have an impact in this world. But get that front and center and keep that <laughs> at the core of Jesus' church. This year we want to do a bit of a, a rebuild around that. And so as we were looking at this late last year as a church council, uh, we actually came across the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And as we were reading this, the language of sort of rebuild sort of captured us. And there was uh, stuff out of this, these two books that um, gave us some principles around some of the things that we would like to unpack as we go through this year. Um, and some of the stuff that Andrew's already alluded to, we're not throwing out the old, because that's not what they did in Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah, they built on the foundation of the temple that was there, and Jerusalem still had parts of its walls that were up and parts of the city were still functioning. They didn't throw all of that out. God came upon them and helped them restore their city, which he had originally planned for them so that they could be the people of God, God in their midst that would glorify them. God wasn't concerned about how, um, how the city functioned and stuff like that. He was concerned that the people of God radiated him, that the people that lived in that city knew an intimate relationship with him. He wanted his people and him living together again. And then out of that uh, would be the blessing of his work to the nations and to finally Jesus. So as we go through this year, I was thinking about our vision statement. You know, we want to be a people continuing growing closer to God. We want to be disciples that are growing, having Jesus in our hearts. We want to share Jesus Christ. We want to care for people and love them and have them experience who Jesus is. We want to extend his kingdom to reach the world. Why? Not so that we can be a great church, not so that we can tick off boxes because Jesus is at the centre of our church. He has shown us uh, what love looks like and he wants us to live in that reality. He wants us to have everything that we do and say and think to be an expression of that love relationship that we have with him. And I've been confronted that even in my ministry, I push that aside and I start relying on structures and organisations and my hard work rather than the idea that Jesus saved me and gave me his spirit and has empowered me, has given me his gifts, has given me his fruit to allow him to flourish in this place. And I want to get alongside people and see them live in that place of flourishing with Jesus as well. 
And so in Ezra and Nehemiah, God lays this vision for his people. And we want to align ourselves. What's God's vision for us as his church? We want to be a people that reflect him. A vision of being a people that follow him and are moving with him and growing with him. And so as we travel in this year, first and foremost, people, and that's sort of where I sort of went with the first series through January, was I just want you to know God's love that is expressed in Jesus. Why do we have Jesus at the centre? Because Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love. That's how much he loved you, that he was willing to send his own son so that he can live with you. He, was, he so loved you that he sent his spirit. Jesus enabled us to have his spirit, to have that power that raised him from the dead now live amongst us so that we can go and make disciples, so we can see the lost saved, so that we can see people flourish in Christ. God loves his church and he's going to grow it. Remember his promise? The gates of hell won't stand against this. Because he's the one empowering it. He's the one that wants it to happen. So this, this year as you head into ministry, and as what we do, please draw near to Jesus. Know him. Grow in him. And allow all that we do to flow out of that. And we'll see God do his great things amongst us. That we'll have a sense of his power and his presence doing unbelievable things. Let's pray.